0: You're about to listen to a rebroadcast of my recent appearance on the Breaking Normal podcast. It's a show that explores the boundaries of mystery, memetics, and language. The host, Daniel Eisenman, who's been a featured guest on my own podcast before, approaches the show and the world with a unique perspective, and as a result, creates some deeply profound conversations, including the one you're about to hear. This was one of the most real, raw, and far-out guest appearances I've done to date. And I thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to get weird and wild in the realms of metaphysics and spirituality. Here's what we talked about in this eye-opening conversation. The prayer that made this interview so special, creating with deep intention my barometer for success, the fact that every person on earth is always doing what they think is best, no matter how bad it is the precursor to forgiveness that helps you forgive everyone every time. Catching a passion for spring water and why I believe it's the best water choice on the planet, the difference between God and spirituality, struggling with imposter syndrome, my understanding of and relationship with a higher power. And finally, Daniel and I unpacked the insane amount of supplements and nootropics I took before this very interview. Spoiler alert, you can probably tell the vibe was abnormally lit. And we let you in on the secrets to what made that possible. Enjoy this rebroadcast of the Breaking Normal podcast and make sure to get over there and check out Daniel's show. It's one that I truly enjoy. There's a a wide spectrum of things that people ask me about and, you know, it's like I worked in the sex industry. I sold drugs. I've done all kinds of weird fucking things before I became a spiritual seeker and finder and... So um, I'm used to talking about things that other people might find a little too personal or vulnerable. Uh, That's the name of the game in this
1: podcast. Yeah, cool. All right. So in that case, I'll officially begin by praying for the best synergy possible between us so that we can explore something out loud that's very meaningful and fulfilling to not only us, but infinite amount of other people.
0: That's great. And the name of the creator. Amen. Amen. That's great. You know, I, I did an um, interview with Sharon Salzberg on my podcast, The Lifestylist once, and that was the only time that I actually asked a guest to say a prayer for us, or she kind of kind of prayer led us in a little meditation. And it was such a great setup. So I appreciate you doing that. I'm going to have to remember to do that more often. That's cool. Wow. Thank you. Do you have a prayer that you would like
1: to share? And under the context of, with our interview earlier, yeah. I believe we're praying already. Yeah, But yeah, if there's yeah. something that you want to intentionalize in this creative constraint of whatever, is going to be 40
0: minutes or so, you know, I'd love to hear about man, it. Man, for me, it's like the barometer of success is always doing my best to serve the highest good and knowing that I'm included in the highest good. So if I say the highest good for all, that means, you know, the ex-wives, the teachers that beat you, everyone that's ever, you know, harmed you or crossed you in any way, the highest good for them and all the people you don't know and yourself. So I'd like our conversation to serve the highest good. Okay, great. Yeah. And on that note, what I was
1: imagining was my imagination of Yeshua or and or Jesus Christ carrying the cross to his execution in a way to his crucifixion and doing it voluntarily. And uh, I, I imagine that when you were saying to have this type of love for um, yeah. people, your enemies, your ex-wives, whatever the people forgive that, them for,
0: they know not what they do. Yeah. It's a great way to live, you know, because every person at any given time is doing what they think is right. And what they think is best, even the most depraved human beings, the child molesters, the abusers, uh, the murderers, the serial killers, they all think that that act at that given moment is the best thing (laughs) that they can possibly do. A human being cannot do something they don't think is a good idea. because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. You know, it's just that I think some humans are, are misguided. Some have experienced trauma and some are overtaken by dark forces and energies of, of evil, frankly. And, um, even in those moments, they're, they're doing the best that they can and not that they should be condoned. But, um, it's not even that you need to forgive them because um, forgiving them would uh, indicate that they've done something wrong and that they're guilty. Okay, so check so this out. Precursor to forgiveness is just understanding that we're, we're all innocent at a fundamental level. And anyone that breaks the moral code um, and breaks laws and harms others should be sequestered away from other people so that they can't harm those people. That's my perspective on that. Yeah. By the way, we're here with what I would
1: reference as Luke <laughs> Story. That's is that me. the name of your podcast?
0: Is that a name no? That the of name of my podcast is the Life Stylist Podcast. But my given name is Luke Story, and I tell stories. So who knew? You know. Well, that's a big topic too. Is how much do you think that your storytelling
1: abilities came from, like that symbol placed on your experience from the beginning, like the chicken or egg type of thing? Do you know what I'm getting at?
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know. But I, I have. I have had the awareness that when I was a kid um and I really hated school. I mean, a lot of kids hate school, but school was literally like prison to me. I mean, I hated school from day 1. Uh and how I dealt with school was being the class clown and just entertaining myself and the other kids and kind of being the center of attention and then I became much more insecure and um introverted later on as I just developed, you know, various neuroses and addictions and things like that and so It's been really fun to actually have my more true innate personality emerge over the last few years that I've been producing content and doing the things I'm doing and telling stories like I am because I get to be that goofy kid again that I was kind of born to be. And part of that is um, just in my nature. To tell stories and also tell the stories of other people. When I interviewed you today briefly, I mean, I want to know your story. I'm interested in the story of each and every entity that I encounter. So i um, a purveyor of stories and a creator of stories. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I like to be in front of people and um, highlighting other people. And I'm learning how to not shy away from it and be insecure about it, I guess is what I'm saying, to embrace, embrace that part of myself and not hide anymore, you know? Uh, I can say so resonate with that. This is pretty much in the ethos of breaking normal
1: because the cover of the book is a guy that's in a self-imposed prison with the key to his freedom at the tip of his nose, and the subtitle is "Rewild Your Inner Child and Set the Truth Free." And I think that oh, that's cool. it sounds like you're maybe there's a a natural archetype for you as a jester of sorts. Yeah, and like calling up the b- b- bullshit yeah. in a fun way.
0: Yeah, and a and a you know a translator too because I think for some people say. Um, Making esoteric, really far out woo-woo spiritual concepts and practices believable and applicable is difficult and you need an intermediary to break them down to their fundamental parts so that you can implement them in your life. And the same would be true of biohacking technologies and some complex, more scientific applications of data and, um, and technology. And I'm okay at... Talking to people on both ends of that spectrum and um, translating that information for people, for the layperson that can go, okay, cool. Now I get why I should do this kind of breath work, yoga, meditation, uh, prayer, studying, uh, et cetera, and why someone might want to endeavor to go poop in a jar and send it away to check their gut biome or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is bringing up a lot of things. One is just after our podcast. A little after our podcast, I was doing some breath work with Troy Casey. And oh,
0: I love Troy, man. I interviewed him yesterday. Cool. Dude. Yes,
1: yes. Cool dude. And he was asking us, like after an exhale, to hold your umbud what what is this called? around your sacral or sex center. There's You call that the Mulbund. The Mulbund. Mulbund. mul-bund yeah. So he was asking people to flex that. Otherwise known it. as the taint. Oh yeah. And so and then someone else spoke up and was like Basically, you know, that area between your asshole and your balls. And <laughs> you just kind of there's a spider web kind of structure there and you tighten that. Yeah. And then the person was like, Oh, thank you for speaking English.
0: So I saw like that
1: right, translatable right. force right. already experienced like since I met you last. And I
0: love I, watching yoga teachers um try to not say um try to not say genitals or not say rectum. You know? Like a yoga teacher would be like, okay, tighten your bottom region sort of down there. You know, I'm like, just say pucker your asshole. Let's just be real about it. <laughs> so uh, Or not. Actually, I don't even, that doesn't sound very right Yeah, nice, I can, I can hear, I I I want hear, to hear right that. This is the
1: point that there is yeah. like, yeah, finding the balance of extreme honesty has been an art for me. Because there is a sacred, like maybe I don't want to use, I think, something about
0: asshole. Asshole is not a pretty word. I'm someone that swears a lot for better or for worse. And just calling someone an asshole doesn't have the connotation. But if you talk about a person's asshole, it's just like gross. I I don't like the sound of that at all. (laughs) Weird. And I don't even know if I knew that until I just said it in that context. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I want to say that or hear that. Wow. Thanks for catching yourself. In front of me and calling yourself up
1: in front of me. It reminds me I <laughs> do the same for myself. And that being said, how I described, like, how I was like, I don't know Luke that well. I was telling Greg, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, I know Luke really well. Because what I know about Luke is he's passionate about spring water. And even though that's a little, that tells me a lot.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> that's my thing, dude. Yes, tell
1: me about this. When did you you catch a passion for spring water? What does it mean
0: to you? You know, it's funny when I used to hear, you know, go to conferences and hear David Wolf and later Daniel Vitalis talk about spring water. I was like, oh my God, this makes sense. You know, you have this water that's been purified by perhaps 10,000 feet of filtration material at the top of a mountain that springs forth almost magically as if the earth has decided that that water is ripe and has come to fruition and is ready to feed the animals, plants, humans, springs, you know, uh, brooks, then rivers, then the ocean and the whole hydrological cycle. It became fascinating to me. So I started collecting spring water and then realized shortly after I began doing that, that I was doing that when I was a kid. I used to go out with my grandmother um, in a place called Evergreen, Colorado, which is a a bit west of Denver in the Rockies, kind of on your way over the Continental Divide and um, near somewhere near Golden, I think ish. Anyway, she used to take me out and we would collect spring water and we'd bring these glass jars and it was just, it was like a normal thing. It wasn't even like, okay, Luke, we're going to go get spring water. We would just go out and take these little walks in the sun and hikes in the spring and we'd bring these big bottles of spring water home and drink it and it was cold and crisp and delicious and, it was a connection that I had to my grandmother and to the land and uh, had, had lost that memory until I started collecting it again. And so um, it was a new thing that was actually not new to me. And my experience of it is that it's literally Mother Earth delivering this nectar, this sustenance. And it's my belief that the the Earth, the planet itself, actually makes water. That there is, there's some water that's been through the hydrological cycle, meaning ocean water has precipita- precip- precip- precipitated, what the hell is that word? Precipitated, I think, up into the clouds, right? And becomes a cloud. And then the cloud travels from the sea over land and either rains or snows onto the mountains. That water then either seeps into the mountains and becomes aquifers, which eventually become springs, or it trickles down the mountains, becomes rivers, and goes back into the ocean and back up again. That's one side of water and you could say that water is pristine if that cycle has been long enough where it has been cleansed from industrial uh, pollutants, right? But then there's also water that is called primary water. And I've done a little research on this. And that's water that's actually never been above the surface of the Earth. So we don't know, perhaps it's 100,000 years ago, it was ocean water that went up and over and back into the land and is now underneath. But um, there's been testing of waters that proves that it's actually never been on the surface of the planet before, which would indicate that the planet made that water. And that's the chronic ass spring waters, the primary water. And you know it when you get to a spring that's like 10,000 feet up, there's a spring outside of uh, between Meeker and Newcastle, Colorado, on the I 70. So near Glenwood Springs, for reference, right along uh, above the Colorado River, maybe uh, I want to say eight miles up, you know, but it's really high up. And then you drink that water and it's just like, bing, you're just alive. You drink a huge glass of that, it's freezing, low minerals, mid alkaline level. And it's just like you're drinking pure energy. And you don't get that from any filtered water, bottled water, any water that's old. And even I was such a geek at one point, dude, I made these um, these uh, light proof uh, covers for my five gallon spring water carboys and I would keep it in my basement like fine wine and I would I'd actually protect the water from uh, the photonic energy present from the coming through the windows and the interior lighting in the house. And I would protect it and keep it dark and cold um, to preserve that that energetic imprint of the water. And that eventually I got lazy and now I just keep it in my kitchen. But for a while there, I was doing that. An interesting thing happened. One time I went up to get water in LA at a secret spring that will remain unnamed because everyone started going there and then the forest service put the kibosh on it. So I don't name it anymore. But... um, I got spring water, I brought it home and I put it in the basement and one night in the middle of the night I'm sleeping and I wake up to a kaboom. So what the hell? I go reach for my gun, my underwear, trying to get up. I run in the other room and my whole downstairs is flooded. And I was what the hell? And I opened up the closet door or the basement door where I kept this water by the kind of water heater and stuff and the electrical panel. And one of them had exploded because I put a rubber cap on it and I'd filled the water so full that pressure had built up from coming from high altitude to low altitude and i was like whatever that water is i want the water that explodes you know what i'm saying yeah, you get some arrowhead water delivered in a plastic bottle you put that shit in your garage it's never exploding and i have no idea scientifically why that happened but it was impressive enough for me that i thought wow i'm onto something here yeah by the way thank you for the notes about this springs in Colorado because
1: our next um our next tribe design is mm. in Colorado on oh, June where? June uh, we haven't decided the
0: location yet Oh okay yet. cool cool
1: but I'm like, oh, hey, you're giving them me good cues to what Dude, I'm looking the, for. You know,
0: where's the beauty? I mean, I'm biased because I I you know, this is where my dad's from and where I lived a lot, but it's the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, the whole area between Aspen and um Glenwood Springs is just beautiful. And there's hot springs you can go to in that area. There's um cold springs you can drink, there's rivers to jump in, there's really cold is very abundant in water. Cause there's so much snowfall there. Hence Aspen ski area. Another great thing about it is you can fly directly into Aspen from most major cities, which is great. You don't have to do connecting flights. Whereas some of the other more remote, beautiful places in Colorado, you've got to do connecting flights through Denver and it becomes a bit laborious and expensive and taxing. So I like going into Aspen and then just exploring that whole Valley. It's pretty cool. Wow. Thank you. Thank
1: you. This is golden advice. Um, so we both interviewed Naveen Jain today. Is that
0: correct? Yeah. Okay. yeah he, isn't he amazing? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, dude. I was like, oh, I only had about 50 minutes with him and it was like, oh, this is not near enough. I need 50 hours. This guy's brilliant.
1: It, he is indeed. And what I remember, one of the things, one of my memories of the experience was that when I asked him about what happens beyond the human suit, um, that really the a human is more of memories and experience than the body itself. Was the sort of the answer I remember so am uh, I was reminded of that when you were talking, and I because I have so many memories and experiences around not only everything you said about spring water, everything you said i 'm like, hallelujah, thank you for speaking up in a way that i haven 't even spoken in that way myself, I've spoke about spring water in so many ways, and i haven 't spoken about it in that way, so it was like a new language for something I greatly appreciate. And I want to say I'm curious about your memories or experiences around hunting or going for spring water or learning where the spring is. To me, that is what
0: why I know why I think I know you. You know, it's I think it's something that is past life regressive. Meaning, when you're out looking for a spring, it's something you've done before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just there's something so native about it. It's what human beings have been doing since we arrived on the planet. Whenever and however that happened, uh, the first thing we do when we arrive somewhere is we look for water, and that's really the first thing I do when I go anywhere. Like I'm looking for rivers. I'm looking for not to drink it, but just I want to know where the bodies of water are. And when I go somewhere where there's very little water, I feel a bit, um, I don't know, insecure. Might be overstated, but I don't feel as connected. I recently took a trip um, in the in the winter. I think it was January to Santa Fe, first time. And I got the sense, wow, I bet when there's trees here in Santa Fe, this is beautiful. It was a little dead looking there, you know, energetically a little depressing, uh, frankly. But what really struck me was there was no water. And so when I go somewhere, it's like, I got to know where the water is. But when you get out into nature and you're looking for water that is clean and safe to drink, that is, you know, the best essence of hunting. Because before you need to go find a rabbit, squirrel, elk, rat, lizard, fish to eat to survive, you need water. That'd be the first thing that you go look for when we go to other planets. the first thing we look for is water you know it's it's the it's what we're it's what we're made of your tears, your semen, your blood, your lymph, vaginal fluids um you know <laughs> everything you can think of that comes out of the human body is basically colored water smelly water in some cases you know so it's it's the fundamental um you know, primary substance of, of life. And so to go out and find that and know that that's like your first job. And once you've secured the water, now you can go out and forage and hunt and do the things you need to do. So I think it's just this primordial need, urge, craving. And when you find water that's safe and pure and cold, it's the ultimate reward. Thank you.
1: Now, for people that haven't done that, haven't experienced it, I, th- I think that what a great story about the p- empowerment of collecting water. For the people that haven't done it, how do you, do you encourage people to do it? Is there a good...
0: Uh, yeah, uh, it's funny, dude. Um, there's, uh, I actually made a PDF and not to like plug my my stuff. I mean, it's free, but I made a PDF on like, the best drinking water, the best bottled water. If you're going to use a filter, the best filtered water. I did a deep dive PDF because I did uh, a trifecta podcast series called Water Wars with Daniel Vitalis, uh, Seth Prusansky from Tourmaline Springs, and my friend Mukunday Singh, who has a company called Live Spring Water, which is on the West Coast. And um, I did a real deep dive and everyone's like, Ah, okay, so we see the info, but where's the answer? And so if you go to lukestory.com forward slash Guide. There's just a free web page there um, that you can download, and it has kind of my protocol. But in short, um, one thing I'd like to say for people that don't get there and do that, I really wish I had the one that you have to give your email for, but I forget. I think it's lukestory.com 185, maybe? No, 85? I forget. Anyway, look up Luke story, Springwater. You'll find it. Um, I, I'm like such a bastard. I don't want to give away information without getting someone's email address so I can later send them my podcast and things like that. Oh, God. The... Uh, the confines of being a marketer and a content producer at the same time. But um, what I'd recommend for people is that you don't just go drink any random water. You have to understand the difference between a spring, a brook, a stream, a river, a lake, Just groundwater, still water, just laying somewhere, that is not water you want to drink. So by the true definition of a spring, it's water that's not been pumped by man, uh, that it's just sprung forth on the surface of the ground, but you've got to get it at the source in order for it to be safe. If waters run five to 10 feet down a hill from a spring, it's likely that there's pathogens in it because some animal has come to drink that water and taken a dump in it while they're at it. And so true spring water is, um, I I find most of the time safe uh, unless there's like, um, if it's a lower altitude spring, there might be contamination from above. If there's been any kind of industrial um, contaminants present in the water, like tractors working on, you know, like a a housing tract up the hill from your spring, that water could be contaminated. But if you go to high altitude and you get it right from the source of the spring, that's the best way to do it. And I think the easiest way to find it is go to um, findaspring.com. It's a little you know, outdated at times, but if you search in the zip code or the city or state you're in, you can find uh, springs readily there. And another thing you can do is when you travel, just go into the local, you know, not the Whole Foods, but find the little mom and pop health food store and go in there and ask people that look like hippies, dude, are there any springs around here? Cold springs. You, know, you got to differentiate between hot springs. And generally, you don't want to drink hot spring water because it's, it's sitting in high mineral usually. So it's not great drinking water, but say, are there any drinking springs around here? And in almost every little mountain town, if you find the health food store, there'll be some hippies in there that know, and they'll give you some coordinates, and you'll go out and you'll get lost as hell trying to find it. And then eventually you'll find it. That happened to me in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I went to the health food store. I was like, yo girl worker behind the juice bar. I was like, is there any springs? here?" Yeah. Go five miles out on highway 76, take a right at the third dirt road, pass 45 pine trees. Look on your left. You'll see a bird's nest. You know I mean? It was just like, God, okay. I wrote down the directions, went out. My dad, and I, my dad's my spring water hunting buddy, old time Colorado hunter and fisher type. And um, we, we went and walked around for about three hours. We couldn't find the spring. And then on our way out, we're like, it's right there. Yeah, <laughs> We found it and we filled up and it was beautiful. On your way out. This is such a classic experience,
1: like an archetype of an experience in my life up to this point. Is like going for something so hard. The new and noteworthy is a perfect example. I was like going for this new and noteworthy. From what I understood, I was like, I did everything I understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Greg was the one that researched and gave me a formula. and I just did
0: it. I need Greg on my team.
1: <laughs> and, then I, and then I didn't. We didn't think we made it. And I let it go. I let it go. But yeah. then I found out someone tagged me in a photo. And I was like, we did it. And then this is the same thing with when I saw Davina get birth. Deanna, she's all in on this birthing. All from the beginning, like at home, at home, in peace. But when it really peaked, she was fully surrendered. She didn't know what was going on anymore. She gave up. She actually actually gave up when Davina's head came out. And I was like, there's something about this archetypal experience of going so all in on fulfilling a path or hitting a peak or going for it or sending it, however someone thinks about that. And then surrendering after when you do it, regardless of the results, and uh, that's that's what that's bringing for me. Can you does that bring anything yeah, for you? Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, a good metaphor for a lot of accomplishments. Is that. Um, It's in the yin of receiving, you know, the yang is the hunt and the yin is the receiving. And sometimes you've exhausted the yang and, um, or yang as people correctly say it, I still say yang up the yin yang. Um, yeah, you've exhausted the yang energies, the male energy, the seeking, the hunting, the overtaking, um, and then, you finally surrender and let go and you look around and you're like, oh, it's right there. And then the yin happens, you know, it's sort of like, it's the same way with um, seeking God and, and a, a spiritual practice, you know, for me too. It's like, I remember one time when someone said to me, uh, a wise sage once said, you know, I said, man, I'm, you know, I'm praying. Like, I, I don't feel God. Like, what the fuck? I'm frustrated. I'm still suffering with negative emotions and a negative life experience. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm surrendering, you know, and they're saying, dude, Fighting is not surrendering. If you're still struggling and fighting, you haven't surrendered. And they said, um, you know, Luke, if, if, are you really seeking God? I said, yeah, man, I'm, you know, I want this God thing. I want to be spiritual. I, I sense that that's the answer to my woes. And they said, well, Luke, I'll tell you what, man, you got to ask yourself this question. If you can't find God, guess who moved? <laughs> you know? And that's because I'm so, you know, fervently seeking God that I'm actually missing the fact that there is nothing but God. You know, it's like God didn't go away. It's not that I have to go out and seek God in India or find God, that it's in this, you know, uh, cave in the Himalayas. God is, as you said earlier, so aptly and correctly on my podcast, that there's there's nothing here that isn't God. The spiritual practice is here. The yoga is, is life. I don't have to go to a yoga studio um, to experience yoga. This is yoga, and I don't have to sit and do my Vedic meditation twice a day, uh, although I do and will. So I love it, but it's... um the meditation is right now and so um there is a balance there with that you know seeking and um, putting in the effort and then there is a time to allow and uh, have the universe respond to your yin energy of just going okay it's here the whole time if you would just surrender and stop fighting the experience and stop um, exerting so much effort in something that really only requires you to let go to receive yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I was going to say that
1: I, I didn't say that about God. I said that about spirituality. Yeah, yeah. About your and there is a practice. difference yeah. in a way. Yeah. I, I'm so fascinated by the details of the difference between God and spirituality. What do you mean by that? That's interesting. like the containers that we put on words and what oh, that okay. can become the same thing that sure. you were named story.
0: Sure. And how you are a master storyteller. Really, master? (laughs) Oh, cool! I don't. That's funny. I never think about that, but (laughs) I'll take that. And I'll allow my uh, my insecure ego to take that in and own that. You know, it's a funny thing about um, you know about uh, humility and ego and things like that. Is there's this thing I learned about years ago called false humility, where you won't take a compliment because you think that you're being prideful, when in fact you're being prideful to not take the compliment, right? So. I've been practicing for a while now. If someone says, "Hey, man, you know, cool haircut, cool shoes, great podcast," I go, "Yeah, you're right. It's it's awesome, right?" <laughs> yeah. But it's I'm not taking ownership. I'm just saying, "Yeah, this thing's been given as a gift." It's manifested, which I had very little to do with, and I'm celebrating its awesomeness too, uh, because even if you come up with what you think is an original idea, you didn't actually create the idea. You're just you're reaching up into ethers, and you're you're writing "Stairway to Heaven" or you're painting your Mona Lisa, but it's not you doing it. You're just a conduit for this higher source of inspiration, and intelligence that's doing it through you. So you can actually. Learned, I think, to take ownership of that because you're not taking credit, right? It's ownership, not credit. It's going, yeah, wow, thank you. Wow, I, okay, I'm a fucking master storyteller. Thank you. But I'm not doing it. It's being done through me. And then that's the way you can subjugate the um, head swelling and the pridefulness that comes before the fall. But it's not humble to say, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm okay. You're much better than I. Little me, oh, no, I can't take the compliment, which is bullshit. It's like, no, I just won't take credit for it. But thank you. I'm going to put that on my website now. LukeStory.com. Master Storyteller. da da No, I won't. But I appreciate it. It's good. Because I do. I struggle with imposter syndrome still. You know, even though I'm, I've am been successful in a multitude of ways. Um, I still, you know, I walk around this conference and I I think five people come up to me. Hey, man, big fan. Love your podcast. And I still think, yeah, but why? How, why am I not on the stage with Jim Quick and... Naveen and Dave Asprey, I'm a loser. Like literally, my mind still does that shit. Thankfully, I have an awareness of it and I go, shut up, mind. I'm doing my work and my work might not be to be on the main stage. My work might be roaming around the halls recording podcasts and meeting people, people that I've inspired.
1: You know? Yeah. And <laughs> you know? I would say that maybe <laughs> I judge some of your main work to be you <laughs> being aware of what you just told
0: us. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess I admit shit like that sometimes and I, I realized, oh, a lot of people have those experiences, but they won't talk about them maybe, you know, although I think it's becoming more prevalent that people are exposing shadow, not shadow is evil, but shadow is the unseen, the hidden aspects of their consciousness, mind, ego, personality, and saying, oh, that's interesting, look what I just noticed about this arbitrary thing known as my personality sometimes it observes itself as smaller than or less than but who's the one looking the one looking is my higher self going ah funny look what the mind just did look what the ego just did who's the one that's witnessing that though that's the person that i want to bring to you and into every relationship and interaction is the higher self that's using the personality the ego the sense of humor the talents you know to uh, express itself through that to use the physicality, the personality, the, 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 mentality, the intellect, the speech, the storytelling to tell the story of the higher self and to tell the story of connection and love and consciousness. But you got to go through the darkness and the pain to be able to appreciate and to um, seek that higher perspective for something other than just to look like a spiritual person that walks around in beads and knows how to do every yoga pose. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm getting, like what
1: I'm getting at is there's a parent, like the parenting, you mentioned how challenging that you imagine that could oh, be dude. to your current yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, I've looked at
0: your baby on Instagram, like, wow, cute baby, beautiful wife. I'm like, that looks awesome. But at the same time, I'm like, I know that it's work, you know,
1: too. And, and why is that? Like, you think about that, 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 that's the, that is what evolves life. And there's this, there's this pretend love-hate relationships with parents and children. But it's an archetype that keeps playing out. And I think it's very metaphorical to the archetype of the higher self versus the ego. Mm. And what I'm wanting to know is how can I appreciate this reality that I've chosen where competition can be cooperation? Does that land on you? Like Maybe I'm supposed to have both entities on each shoulder in a way. Yeah, maybe that's like the that's like it's like oh that's the Wizard of Oz like oh there's another layer to this.
0: Yeah, well I think um, two things. One is going the way of the mystic, the sage, the saint can be a cop out because you're not still doing your earthly deeds and you're not demonstrating, you're not sharing. You're in the cave and maybe a hundred people come see you in the course of your life and you've achieved enlightenment. And then there's the, the householder's version, which is embracing your humanity, your physicality, your sexuality, your hunger, your cravings, your attachments, still living within the physical realm, but having a connection to the non-physical realm, but being aware and operating in both worlds. Then there's, um, then there's the part of the Tony Robbins route, you know, which is kind of, Really having an awareness of ego, but really harnessing and using ego, using personality, using physical stature, power, energy, to motivate, inspire, kick people's ass. You know, that's another approach. And I, I have respect for both. I have respect for the renunciate. That's like cool. I'm leaving all my worldly things and family, and I'm going to walk the streets of Rishi. What's it called? Riki Rishikesh, ricky Keshe. You know, I, I'm going to do that thing, and I'm spiritual now. And I put the ink on my forehead, and I'm out. Bye. I, you know, 401k, I'm um, I'm doing the spiritual thing. Um nothing wrong with that, but I, I I like the middle ground, you know, where you're going like, "Hey, I'm still the person. I still like to have sex and eat a steak and um and also meditate and also, yeah, sometimes I do feel insecure and sometimes I do get pissed off at people and sometimes I am triggered, but I'm also deeply spiritual and committed to God and I have a life that's based on service and um and based on my dharma. And not my karma, you know, and um, I think there's room for both. The mistake is, and I think you alluded to this earlier, is in demonizing the ego self, the personality, the body and its needs, you know, the instincts, the animal self and saying that's wrong, that's bad and getting caught in that duality that you can never win because your humanity is always going to keep showing up as long as you're in a physical body, no matter how enlightened you become. You're still going to be an asshole once a year for a moment. You know, it's like you're still going to have a craving that doesn't serve you. You're still going to be selfish to some degree. You're still going to, you know, love the applause and attention and approval of people because the human animal is just wired with certain instincts that there's no getting away from. And the minute those instincts are gone, or you could say your ego has gone, you're just going to roll over and leave the body. And that's your time to ascend physicality and go back into the ethers, wherever that is and whatever that looks like. So I'm embracing the human experience as much as I can. But also, i um, doing my best not to be completely and unconsciously um, prey or victim to those wants, needs, desires, attractions, and aversions. And you categorized getting applause
1: from people from stage in a category of things that sounded very egoic.
0: I was curious about that part. Well, every human being has the tribal instinct, right? I mean, I, there's two guys in the room. You, this guy this fucking guy over here i want i want like this guy sometimes that comes out i don't know why um I want you guys to think I'm funny, smart. I want you to respect me. I want you to support me. I want you to be my friend. I want you to tell people about how awesome Luke's story was. I want people listening to that to go to my website, to give me money, to do shit, go to my events, you know, lobby for me to be a main speaker at the Bulletproof Conference next year. Um, and that comes from that herd and tribal instinct that the human body is born with. Like, we need the safety and security and love of other people. And so, To me, that's something that I've wrestled with because when that instinct, like any instinct, say for food, shelter, security, sex, when that overreaches and is just left unbridled and left unattended, then you enter into a situation where everything's a performance and you become narcissistic and self obsessed and you feel like you're on film everywhere you go. I mean, I've lived like this where every word I say is for someone else and I'm giving my power away and I'm addicted to approval. And I become a people pleaser and a doormat, and just constantly walking on eggshells and hyper vigilant for um, whether or not that instinct is going to be fulfilled or not, because I'm living with the fear of death. Surely, 50,000 years ago, if you were ostracized from your tribe of 50 or 60 roving hunter gatherers and you fucked up and they left you behind, you would surely die to the elements or predation, right? So we're born with this, like, okay, don't rock the boat. We got to be accepted, we have to be liked by our tribe, which in this case would be this conference or the listeners to your podcast. So that's there and there's no getting away from that. But when that becomes pathological and now my higher self is in shackles and can't actually express itself because it's being bound by the fears of the ego, then we have a problem. Then I'm not really truly living life for myself. I'm living life for other people and out of the fear of death, ultimately, because that's where that leads to. I walk through the halls of this hotel and everyone's like, "Aha! we hate you, you suck, get out of here. And I'm, you know, say Donald Trump walked through this hotel of liberals, you know, like the hate that he would get exposed to. If he didn't have a sense of self, other than that, he would feel the fear of death, right? And so- I acknowledge that I want to be liked and I want to be popular and that God gave me that as a survival tool, but I have to have an awareness of it so that my higher self can overcome that and I can live as a free man and, you know, like or not be liked and be okay with that and not be at the whim of every person's approval and opinion of me. And that's how you, you know, you don't take shit personally either. It's like, I'm not for everyone and that's great. I don't want to be for everyone. How boring of a world it would be if everyone thought Luke's story was awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's a lot of people in the public square that I think suck, and that's good because they have 2 million people that think they're awesome. You know, I mean, you could think about the president of this country at the moment. You know, half the country loves the guy, half hate him. It's just the ones that hate him are in control of the media. So it seems like there's more people that hate him, but there really aren't, I don't think. You know, so it's like, I mean, if you. If you travel away from the coastal cities, you would get a different opinion is what I'm saying, or people that aren't completely controlled by the, the media narrative. So it's like, it's not about being popular. It's about being popular within your own self and finding that self-love and acceptance. And then you become less addicted to the outside exogenous sources of love. And actually, as we were saying earlier, I think you talked about this, that when you're less addicted to the exogenous sources of love and approval, affection, et cetera, then um, you don't need it. And then all of a sudden the tables turn and, and the people outside of you kind of need you and they're looking for your approval. Were you the one saying that today? Uh, yeah. I interviewed like no 15 way, no people way. today. Yeah, bro, I'm on a <laughs> so too. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, wait, who said what at this point? But
1: Exactly. I, you're saying things that I'm like... Th- Am I saying this right? But as I, you're saying them, I'm wondering if I'm saying.
0: Them. I think what it is, dude, is I'm a fan of of human psychology and just looking at the the many um, the the multitudinous aspects of the human experience, from the highest spiritual God connected to the lowest animal komodo dragon. I'm going to spit, you know, bacteria in a cut that I made on you with my teeth and you're going to start just evaporating in about 10 minutes. and I'm going to eat you. I mean, that would be on the lower spectrum, right? (coughs) To the highest angelic realms. And I think that the whole human experience is really, really interesting. And if you have awareness that that spectrum is potentially available to you within your life, then you have more um, license to operate on the spectrum where you want to, when you want to, when it's appropriate. So if you need to be the guy on the main stage here, you can't come out and be Mr. Humility. You're going to come out and be like, here's why you guys got to listen to me. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You guys with me? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're you're doing the Tony Robbins, (laughs) you know, but sitting down one-on-one with someone who's going through a divorce or just got diagnosed with cancer or ad infinitum trauma experience, that doesn't work. Then that's a hug, that's loving, that's crying on each other's shoulders, that's opening your heart, that's being your highest angelic godly source with no personality and no enthusiasm and none of that shit because it's not appropriate on the spectrum in that particular moment. But if you have an awareness of those different spectrums, then you get, I think, more finely tuned at demonstrating those and using those energies when and where they're appropriate. And again, as we said in the opening prayer-ish, prayer-ish, that um, it's according to what serves the highest good in any given moment. I mean, I have situations sometimes in life where I'm super hardcore with people, like on social media, I'm just like, shut the fuck up, you're blocked, I'm done. You know, And that's my higher self going, nope, not a fan. I'm out. You're wasting my time. And that for me is a spiritual practice as much as being there for someone in a very loving, warm, open-hearted way. It depends on the scenario. It's case by case and it's contextualized by intention and by timing and by the nuance of the present moment. Yeah, I um, I'm a- I feel like my answers are like not even answers to your questions. Uh, I, well, I, well, you know what it is? I've been interviewing people all day, and they've been talking, and I'm sitting there going, "Mm-hmm, mm-hmm," listening. And now I'm like, "Ah, I'm set loose on the mic." Yes. So anyway. yes, welcome,
1: welcome to the stage. Yeah, thanks. We've too. all been here the whole time, but we share it sometimes for fun. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I think we've, I think we've been talking about the yin yang, the yin yang almost the whole time in a way. And one thing I want to ask you, cause God has been referenced, what is
0: God to you? It's absolutely everything that we see and experience. It's, it's the thing that can't be named, that can't be quantified. It's, um, it's the container that's holding everything and it's everything in the container all at once. You know, it's, um. In other words, there's like nothing that we can conceive of that's not God. So God is that formica table right there because God's the thing that's holding it together. It's the energy that's holding those uh, atoms and electrons together and keeping them spinning at a certain frequency that create something that appears to be hard that we can set our computer on, you know, and then God is also the sense of love and belonging that that we have for one another and it's, it's our emotions and it's our thoughts and it's everything we see visually, everything in the universe. It's this um, facsimile reality that we live in of the material world that we get to come play in and embody um, physicality so that our consciousness can find a single form to operate within, to learn from. It's all of that. It's like, it's the school, it's the curriculum, it's the classroom, it's the students, it's the teacher. It's all of it. And that's where I was lost for so long going off. Like, I got to find God. Is it in India? Is it in Montana? You know, is it in being a vegetarian? Is it in being keto? Is it in 12 step groups? Is it in A Course in Miracles? Is it in this book, that book, Eckhart Tolle, this, that? And it's like, the answer is yes, 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 yes. It's in everything. You know, it's in the prisons. It's everywhere. (laughs) It's in war. You know, it's in the whole human experience. In other words, for me, God has to be everything or it's nothing. It has to be genocide. It has to be famine. It has to be uh, birth defects. It has to be big pharma. It has to be everything that I perceive to be evil because without the spectrum of opportunity, in the human experience there would be no evolution and there would be no growth in other words there would be nothing to learn right if everything is utopian as many people perceive god to be the the light and the love part but not the rest of it and i think that's where we miss it so it's everything you know it's turning on cnn fake news going like ha, these people are god the lies they're telling us are god the wars that they're lying to us about and the leaders that they're lying to us about and the leaders that are lying it's all god And it's all the cosmic joke, it's all the school of life, you know, it's all what we're here to experience and and learn and without having, for me at least, a completely endless contextualization of that thing, then I'm still going to be off seeking God in the details rather than just having the whole of the experience be God. I'll be trying to find it in a church. You know what I mean? Maybe if I go in here, is God in here? Is God in here? It's like, no, God's the thing that made me have the thought. I think I need to find God. You know, God's trying to find itself through me. I don't even call God a a lot of the time or a him. You know, it's it's a him, it's an it, it's a thing. And people get pissed when you say God is a him if they're a feminist. And I'm like, it's not a him or a her. I mean, come on, really? We got to get past that. That's a problem right there. It's a. It's an it. It's a. It's an everything. It's not even an it because then you could point over there and go. It's that. It's not. It's everything. I like the I am that I am. It's unnameable. I like that. Another one from That's the Bible cool. There I am. That's that, cool. when
1: Jesus was asked who he was. I am that I am. Yeah. And then the Tao Te Ching.
0: The best way to strip the power from something is to name it. Right, right. That's funny. I was talking to a homie of mine a couple of days ago, and I said, "How you doing?" He's calling me. He's kind of in a hard time. I said, "Man, I don't know what's been going on. I've been having these. I've been having anxiety attacks for the past few days." He told me about it, Dad, and I said, "Okay, well, you want to know how to cure it?" And I said, "Yeah, stop calling it a fucking anxiety attack. What are you, a doctor? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Tell me what it feels like." And he described it, and I said, "Okay, so you're giving it power by naming it an anxiety attack. What you're describing to me is probably the net effect of." Um, Having some past traumas that are living inside your hippocampus and amygdala and when you have similar experiences to those, those parts of your brain then signal to release something called cortisol and adrenaline and that floods your body and it causes a tension in your body and then you go, I've heard about this. This is called an anxiety attack when really all that's happening is some chemicals are floating around in your body for a few minutes and because you're fighting it and labeling it and giving it energy, it's becoming this behemoth that you can't overcome. When in fact, if you can just go, huh, wow, I have a really strange sensation in my body right now. Let me just really explore this and go deeply into it. Probably 10 minutes later, you don't have anxiety anymore. But it's the anxiety about the anxiety, right? Feedback loop from hell, arguably. Yeah. Gnarly. Sad about sad, mad
1: about mad. Gnarly. Happy about happy. I like that one. But on that note, yeah. I once had an experience. I'll just, maybe this is something we can share um, real quickly. Where I was having a physical response. A lot of things combined. A lot of things. And all of a sudden I felt like I was having what I imagine people describe as a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And I call, I told my wife where the hospital was actually. I didn't know what was happening. I told my Mm. wife where the hospital was in case. And I'm like, I'm going to go lay down and I need your support. That's what I told her. And then all of a sudden she started guiding me through this experience. What I imagine other people would say is like a Kundalini rising. Mm. Um, where all of a sudden I was having, I couldn't, my body, I was shaking so much on my back that I had to lay on my stomach. Wow. And a lot of energy mostly unlocked from my hips. And I was, I was visualizing shattered, like cathedral windows in a way. And then Deanna was guiding me, guiding me. What 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 is it saying? What's happening? What do you want to, what does it want you to do? What what does it want you to see? And it was like Jesus and a snake, Jesus and a snake were like the two things. And, and I finally got Deanna's guidance. I answered something like that they want to be in, they're in harmony. They're, they are in harmony, that they are in harmony. And, um, and then I my body shut down. And I, just, I was like done. And I was so calm. And for about a week before that, I had this thing that I thought was, I was so vertigo-ish. I was so vertigo-ish for about a week leading up to this. Man, I was thinking about going to get like a cat scan or something. Like, and I was, I was like researching, like, do I want to do this? Like, what the? F- and I was getting, and I got acupuncture. I was doing it all. I, the acupuncture and some Chinese herbs really helped, but it really kind of cracked at that experience I had. I love those experiences, <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you can relate Dude, to just... that because that was like a weird one for me. That was definitely a breaking normal moment for me. Yeah,
0: I you know. I think because I used to do a fair amount of illicit drugs that I I just love those peak experiences, you know, and I'm the type of person that could easily get habituated to even natural peak experiences. And I've had had a lot of those. You know, there was one time I was actually in, I was in Santa Monica sitting there on a balcony, just like this one, actually, (laughs) in an apartment building with my spiritual teacher uh, at the time who was a biker that rode a Harley and smoked cigars, and we were sitting there smoking cigars, talking about God, and he started sharing some uh, traumatic experiences that he'd had as a kid, and he started kind of tearing up, welling up a little bit, and he was just having a healing moment, and I just had this overwhelming sense of compassion and caring for him, and I started crying, and dude, I mean, it was so trippy. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I start feeling this heat in my chest, and then my chest just starts like vibrating and there's just this fucking it was like oh god i was like my body turned into kind of a puppet you know and i was just like oh and i'm just crying tears just pouring out of my eyes and it's just like my body had been overtaken by this energy of compassion and love and i'm just like sending it into him and i'm just locked into him as he sits and talks and cries and it was maybe 10 or 15 minutes of this but it was definitely the sense that i was being kind of visited by something right could be god, uh, angels, you know, guides, who knows. That kind of thing, but that was one of the first experiences that I had where I realized oh, things are not as they seem. Like what you know, what we experience here and what we call quote unquote um normal day-to-day life is not the whole story. And that was that experience and then and then it was over and it's interesting because I was very disappointed that it didn't keep happening. You know, I was sort of like, kind of pissed at God for a minute, like, dude, why did you just give me a little sliver, a little taste? I want to live in that place all the time. And I guess the answer was that the goal is not to live in that place all the time. The goal is to live here on Earth and to do God's work. And um, every once in a while, you get a little crumb where God just kind of taps you on the shoulder and goes, like, Hey, this isn't all there is. Watch this for a minute. And you could do ayahuasca too and get that too. I recently discovered where you know the veil of this version of reality or this limited spectrum of um, this field of the, um, the dimension that we live in here, the dimensions that we live in here, that this veil was sort of lifted and you're like, oh shit, there's about 450 other dimensions here that I'm in now, right? When you're in a journey like that. And that's another thing. But then you still have to come back and do your work here. You can't live in the ayahuasca grid of the ETs and the shit that I was experiencing. Although I actually wanted to stay there. And when I came out, I was like, I want you know, I want more of that. I'm one of the few guys that's ever done ayahuasca and is like, I think I want to do that again. Everyone's like, Whoa, whoa, that was heavy. I want to break. I'm like, I mean, I know better and I'm not gonna use that plant as a party drug, but um I really like those peak experiences but I have to learn that the peak experiences aren't the goal you know they're just a little they're a little taste we get you know where universal intelligence or god says like hey there's more here than meets the eye and i'm going to give you a little glimpse of it but know that that's not the goal you know the goal is to still be here and do your work but to have an awareness that that i'm here you know that there is an energy there, there is a force there, and there is much more than we're able to perceive from our limited senses. And so we get these momentary awakenings like that, where you're like, what the hell is going on? I kind of like this, but kind of not. And then afterward, you're changed forever in some way, if a small indiscernible way, and sometimes in major ways where all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm not angry anymore. And I love everyone. What happened? I don't know. It was a little gift from God, a little bit of grace where you're able to see through the veil for a moment. And see the uh, the infinite potential of love yes wow fun shit man so fun being a human i mean it's arduous at times and it it kind of sucks in in one way you know <laughs> what i mean honestly there's one side of it's like god it's a lot of work being in earth school but then you have an enlightening um inspiring conversation with a couple of cool people like i'm including your, your friend here in our conversation even though he's not talking but I'm having a conversation with both of you. He's just stifled in his ability to respond because he doesn't have a microphone and he's not a co-host. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, then you have these moments and you're like, everything's perfect, man. It's all love. It's all beautiful. And then I could go out of here. Like last night, I had a great time. I go to put my card in the thing. that's like $45. And I was like, fucking $45. Fuck you guys. And I calmed down you know, very quickly, thankfully. And I said, excuse me, sir, is there by chance a discount for the participants of the conference? He was like, oh yeah, oh, your conference? Yeah, $15. You know? And I was like, wow, I could have just blown my whole night over some perceived bullshit that was solved by just asking one simple question to Mr. Parking lot attendant. You know? But generally speaking, I think in my life, the arc of happiness and satisfaction just goes up and up and up and up with periodic dips into like, wow, the human experience sucks and it's a lot of work. Because you know, there are those moments where it's just painful and you're going, really? Earth school fucking blows. Why does it have to be so hard? But then you make it through the hard part and then you're in an even higher place with a, a higher perspective and a more broad understanding of how it all works and becoming less attached to it being beautiful and um, you know light and bliss all the time. So then you can go into that, the dark alleys and those dips in the experience and still appreciate that as part of the journey, just as much as the love and light parts like we're having right now. Mm. that's what I think Mm. that's my story I'm sticking to it okay one of my
1: favorite hikes where and I actually I have a a request for you do you listen to audiobooks? oh constantly do have you listened to Breaking Normal by any chance? no I'd
0: love for you to listen to Breaking Normal is it on Audible? yep oh dude dope First off, I'm going to get it because I, I think I even have credits on Audible because I just burn through audiobooks constantly. Great. And then after we start recording, I want you to tell me, how do you get a book deal and how do you get an Audible? So <laughs> I have like four books in my head right now that are starting to break out of my skull and I'm like, I have to sit down and write. But then I go, I'll tell Whoa. you. This is part of the story. Oh, cool. This is how I did it because I didn't,
1: I didn't know how I was going to sit down and type this. Yeah. But I felt similarly. Yeah. So... A guy messaged me one day, like right when I realized I admitted that's not for me to sit and type this. I gotta figure out another way. Right. A guy messaged me roughly around that time saying, like, sending me his, how he writes, how good of a writer he is, and how he might want to partner with me for writing for things. Wow. So we invite, I invited him to a house in Montana for a month
0: that was weird how i mentioned montana earlier <laughs> yes. like of all 50 plus st- i think what is there 52 of them um, i think it's 50 but isn't that reason, interesting, i know? think it's 52 see that's fifty two like, cards come out in a deck 52 that, archetypes but that's um isn't that interesting though just and hold that thought please but <laughs> isn't that interesting how in the ethers the idea of montana is in the room right? oh yeah in consciousness oh, yeah. like why would i i don't i have no associates with montana at all. For oh any, really? Oh no. I thought that was Zero. a big thing for you. Like, oh I mean, no! that's just a normal topic for you. Oh in, no, no, no. I have no I never talk about Montana. That just is the state that popped in my mind because it's in your consciousness and your experience, you know. So those are the things that happen where I'm like, Really? You don't believe in God or something other than just this limited experience. So anyway, so Dude, you go to Montana with Dude? Yeah. So I invite him to come out okay. and uh, we rent this place
1: between have you? So Bozeman and Livingston, uh, about an hour outside of Yellowstone National Park. Oh, cool. And another girl is like reaching out for some things. And I know she's a massage therapist. I'm like, here, we'll come out to Montana for a month. You can do a massage and hang out. And so then all of a sudden we have a setup where this guy who used to be studying to be a spy so all I want, I'm like, oh, you know where I'm most inspired to talk about this? I'm going to talk about it. You're going to record it. We're going to record And that was the idea. We're going to create a book. I'm going to speak it and he's going to write it. And I just decided to do the most amazing things I could do. And then we'd just talk while well, when I felt inspired and we would be there together and he was doing them with me. And one of the things we did was uh, hike up this, the biggest mountain I've ever hiked up. I'm not, I haven't done huge hiking, but it's outside of Bozeman, Montana. It's seven and a half miles, pretty much straight up. So it's a 15 mile round trip hike, and we did it in silence. But there's seven waterfalls of the best waterfall, of the best water on earth. Like, so every mile, I've pretty much stopped and took the, one of the best polar plunges of my life. And it reminds me of how you painted your picture of like reality of up, 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 a, a dip. Up, yeah. And then maybe that dip is not negative. Maybe that is like vitalistic to the supercharge right. of getting in the spring water of space and stay like, if we I made it that far, good. Let's appreciate that. Like the yen, Back to the yen, Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about so, that mountain, and I know you would appreciate the story. You, I, yeah. I can tell you more details about how to do that. I, I, some wow, people might get offended if I told the exact location. Yeah.
0: No, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but so, so you, you, you brought dude, and so is your book like? Co- did oh yeah. It, did it so co- basically co-written.
1: With yeah. Him, so or? about a year later, about a year and a half later after that trip, many other trips, many voice notes, and he would I would speak he brought it back to me. I'd speak book back, speak book back. And I kept speaking. I, I just refused to like edit. I couldn't yeah, do it. So I had to like change this voice. note. I pause, change it to page 22, this. And then, um, and then I saw Deanna, Davina get birthed. And I realized that I was just like, wait, I was maybe letting perfection get in the way of great. So I hit a creative constraint to publish the book on Amazon by this time.
0: Wow. It's like,
1: it's ready. Got to get it. I saw that Deanna give birth. I'm like, I got to give birth to this book. Wow. And I realized I have a feeling a lot of people have the story about like they have books in them. I'm like, you got you wanna do you wanna know how to do it? You do it. Oh, <laughs> find man. a way to That's commit to doing it. it.
0: That's inspiring because um, I find the physical act of writing tedious. And so I've been trying to find some other I've done things where I take um, you know, a bit of audio and then have it transcribed and then edit it a little bit. But the funny thing is is that I don't really have the ability seemingly thus far to just sit down and write in the same way that I would speak. But when I speak when I read it, I'm like, oh, it sounded much better spoken. <laughs> and then when you read it, it's like, oh, this is very impressive. There's a translator out there for you though. Just really? like the
1: translator I found, like uh-huh. they found. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted, uh-huh. to, he's like a writer, an aspiring writer. Right. And this is what he wanted to do. Right. So I bet there's people out there that, yeah. can, just like I, you're a translator, they could translate that. Into- I think
0: there's like a happy medium between, you know, the actual physical writing and typing and then doing spoken and having it transcribed. I think my, my secret sauce is going to end up being a, a, an amalgam, perhaps of, those methods because I really don't know if I have it in me to just sit and like, okay, I'm working on chapter four, you know, it's like, but I can obviously based on this conversation, it might be abundantly clear that I can talk. So um, for better or for worse, Master like, Storyteller must <laughs> like, have books. I like to talk, you know, so <laughs> I'm like maybe I just set up a mic going, this is book number one, exactly. blah, 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 I just start talking, you know.
1: Master Storyteller must have books. Thank you. I'm inspired now. And uh, I, le- uh, I sometimes when I have these experiences, I like to like phraseologize in them. And in the way when I was in Hawaii recently, I left the Big Island thinking, "There's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way." Ooh, that's here, good. Here I'm leaving, thinking I left just in time. Uh, and it was, when I thought about that, it reminded me, you're probably over time if we're keeping our craving constraint. And I, my bladder is getting very full and I want to keep talking.
0: Yeah, you're down to large beer while we're sitting And there, there was one before
1: that too. And you so. haven't peed Oh, it. and I wanted to ask you about that too. Yeah. Um, you mentioned exogenous substances. So we'll ask this question and then yeah. we'll start getting ready for sure, the conclusion sure. here. Sure. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Wow, well, there's so much here. What, yeah what's your relationship with like um whether it's supplements or drugs or ex- whatever it is yeah. Do, are, you, are well, i was curious are you what would you be on today
0: well if yet, anything you know anything. it's um it's been a long journey and one that's had to evolve in terms of things that i want to put in my body to feel different ways you know as a young person I did a lot of drugs to the point where it became super dangerous and life-threatening. And so when I was 26, I got sober. I went to rehab. I did the whole thing and been sober ever since for all intents and purposes. That said, um, within the context of being you know, someone that considers themselves clean and sober, I guess you could say, um, I have done ayahuasca. I've microdosed psilocybin. I use CBD. Sometimes they even use cannabis oil to a non-psychoactive dose. Um, so I'm all for things for myself personally in moderation, but there's a line that I don't cross where I just don't get fucked up. You know what I mean? I just don't party. Like if you offered me a beer, I'd be like, no way I'm having a beer. If you're smoking weed, no way. You're doing coke, heroin. There's just a lot of things that are just- First two I can offer, but not the the, the rest. There's just certain substances that I- That I've just made a commitment to not put in my body because there's um, historically been a chain reaction that becomes very destructive when I put those things in my body, alcohol being one of them. And so, you know, whether you label yourself an alcoholic, oh, I'm an addict, I'm a this, I'm a that, you know, over the years I've had to really kind of play with that terminology and those concepts. But I have historically had some sort of weird allergic reaction to alcohol when I put it in my body. I cannot stop and i will drink until i'm on the fucking floor and i'm kicked out of the party i'm that guy so i just for you know just lack of um wanting to test the the water so to speak no pun intended i'm just like no i just don't drink um and i help assist other people that have abuse problems and addiction problems too and i've i've done a lot of work in that area and have been um, you know, for free. I mean, just it's just part of my my um dharma, you know, to help other people that have struggled in that way. That said, uh, let me see, what did I do today that was interesting? Um this morning I had a little bit of fenibit, which is a derivative of GABA that makes you feel pretty social and nice, but it definitely doesn't get you high. Uh, but feels good. I did a lot of paracetam. Paracetam's a great um nootropic. It's a I don't know if it's a pharmaceutical, but it's a synthetic and It's really great for speaking. It makes you, it gives you great memory recall, word recall. It helps you to be much more articulate than you would normally be. I just love that stuff for speaking. So whenever I'm podcasting, I do a lot of paracetam. It uh, definitely just sharpens my brain. And then I did um, a supplement called Qualia this morning. I took about oh, yeah, quite, eight. Uh, I did, Daniel and yeah, James, about, if you know them. Yeah, I, I love those guys. those guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, I did about, I'd say eight Qualia, but I did the decaf <laughs> because I also had uh, a fatty coffee this morning. I've stopped calling it the Bulletproof Coffee since uh, I had to pay to get in this conference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give them a plug. Oh shit, I did. Yeah, It's funny, all my friends are like, I got in for free, dude, VIP. I'm like, really? That's funny like i think i've done six bulletproof like talks myself for free and i never got paid and i'm like now i can't get in your fucking event for free that's my own story though i Man, digress arguably you might be getting more value out of it because oh yeah I well I, that's the it. thing yeah i make mud <laughs> back pi- to the yin yang no i make mud pies i'm just like this is amazing i have no responsibilities to i'm not beholden to anyone here of having to speak or do anything like that i'm just under the radar doing my content um having great conversations now i'm just i totally just let go of something that was inside my head earlier that was interesting to observe but yeah i I like you know i'd like to take my supplements and um And I like the biohacking devices. You know, I use the biocharger at home. I got a clear light sauna. I've got an ice bath. I got the Bulletproof Vibe, um, the Juve red light thing. I do all these things pretty much every day. The um, Nano-V, easy water and inhalation thing. I've got uh, the Vital Reaction Hydrogen Inhaler, molecular hydrogen gas inhaler. Um, The Biomat, I sit on that a lot for back pain. I use the PowerMedic cold laser on cuts, bruises, sprains. I use the Theragun for body work. I use the Rapid wow. Release for body work. I have a Magnetico sleep uh, pad, a magnetic pad under my bed. I use the Amp Coil for cleansing and relaxation and have a lot of tools, a lot of tricks that I use all the time. I just love the stuff that makes you feel good. And so I'm like, how good can I feel? And sometimes I take it too far and then I feel bad because I did too much shit in one day, which was the course the you know, the, the course I took yesterday a little too hardcore in the morning and felt iffy the hoppy experience the hoppy the hoppy's edgy and that was not, like, not happy cool, enough bro. that, is edgy <laughs> that and was not, not. cool hop-ay, hop-ay. i was not <laughs> respectful of that medicine at all and i paid the price dearly for about an hour and a half so yeah uh today that was my jam you know but i i love all the things you know i see over here all the supplements i'm like ooh, what you got man You yeah know? this is I all think the most about- i mean most when, I was, of it, when it. I was a kid dude i just i love taking drugs i liked, like like the ritual of chopping things and snorting things and smoking things and putting things in baggies and carrying them around, and all the, <laughs> all the paraphernalia and the accoutrement oh, that comes man. with doing drugs, and I, I still kind of have that, to be honest. I just got an ounce of, of mushrooms the other day, and I put them in the coffee grinder, and I made a nice powder out of them, and I measured two-tenths of a gram, so I can I like bed <laughs> so yeah, so I can effectively jerk. microdose and not actually trip because that's not my goal. And um, you know, I, I like all of the alchemy. Of that, and it's kind of an obsession of mine, um, and I've just learned to kind of accept that about myself. I'm just into this shit, and rather than what you say accept. Well, it I used rather to than... well I used to be critical of myself, and like, oh, I'm attached. I have these attachments. Okay, okay. you know, like why can't I just you know eat some grass fed beef? You know, have a salad. Glass of spring water and live my life, and I'm just I could, but then I think, yeah, but I could be so much better. You know? oh, it could be so much more man. awesome if I take it to the next level, and so I've, <laughs> I'm kind of always pushing the envelope. and And some people are critical of me too, even just friends, loved ones are like, dude, you're a little too extreme. Why don't you like calm down all of this stuff? And it's like I literally can't really. I'm, you know, you I don't call it an obsession, an addiction. I don't, I don't really label it, but. I'm kind of just full on and I just do all the things all the time. I'm just next level. (coughs) Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So, you know, I've had to just accept that part about myself. I'm just wired that way for the time being. And maybe someday I won't be, you know, maybe someday I just, you know, wake up, have a bowl of oatmeal you know, an egg and live my life. I don't know. It's just right now I'm like, what are the 50 things I can take this morning to just maximize my experience? And um, and I've got a lot of them figured out, you know, I have some cool stuff. Cause I can take a normal person that doesn't do any of this shit. They come over to my house and I'm like, all right, give me two hours. Tell me how you feel right now. You have anxiety, you're depressed, you're tired. Give me your, your ailment and I'll fix that shit. And it's like, I'm sort of a, you know, my own version of a shaman, I guess you could say without the plant medicines in there. And I mean, I can take someone and really improve the way they feel on either end of the spectrum. And it's fun for me to do that with guinea pigs that don't do any of the stuff I do. Because I do so much, that's the downside is like, I don't really know what's working. So if you're like, what's the coolest thing you did today that really had an effect? to go, I don't know, there was a hundred (coughs) things. So there's there's the the ill effect of that is I don't know which one of those hundred was the real needle mover if it was a combination of all hundred, you know? Well, I'm inspired
1: to uh, meet more uh, spring hunting connoisseurs because my inkling was definitely spot on that we have so much in common. (laughs) We could go on forever and my bladder is definitely being the constraint. Let's end it. Let's end it. Pull the plug. And I am so stoked to share this space and time with you. What's the best way for people to find out more about you? And you mentioned that you do like some two or three hour podcasts and now I realize... How? Because you're an <laughs> expert,
0: at, like a master at this, a master well, at this. Well, so you know, thank you, thank you. the rabbit holes are, are uh, plentiful and they're deep, you know, that's the thing. And I, I think that's, you know, it's one of the freedoms we have right now with these long uh, form media. You know, if you have a YouTube channel or uh, like your buddy JP, you know, I mean, you can do whatever you want, really. We're not beholden <laughs> to the advertisers on my podcast. Like they don't care what I talk about. I can talk about chemtrails, President Trump, whatever. like The the sky's the limit. You know what I'm saying? And so um, you can't do that on the evening news or going on Dr. Oz or going on Oprah or doing mainstream media. So we're really fortunate that if a conversation needs to be three hours, it's going to be fucking three hours. If I want to say fucking three hours, I'm going to say fucking three hours. Right now in the United States of America, we have that freedom and that's beautiful and that's how information is being shared. So... Yeah, I tried to make my podcast one hour and it was just too annoying and stifling. So sometimes they're like three or four hours. If that's too long for someone, they just listen to another podcast. It's you know, there's plenty out there. Or they listen to one part of your podcast
1: or thirty seconds of their podcast <laughs> yeah, and it whatever. just changes their life forever. It doesn't
0: even matter, you know. Hey, listen, in the algorithm of iTunes, it still counts as a download if they press play. <laughs> you know. Good information. But anyway, um people can find me at my site lukestory.com s t r e-y. Story.com. And um, and then you know my main sort of voice right now is my podcast, The Lifestylist Podcast, Three Words, uh, on which you were a guest today. I don't know whose will come out first, but I interview experts in the fields of spirituality, mindfulness, yoga, meditation, um, and biohacking, health, uh, functional medicine doctors, people that invent natural cures for everything that ails us and stuff like that. So it's kind of a mind, body, spirit uh, mashup on the show. And I put out one every week and that's then kind of helped me create a platform where I go out and do my own workshops and public speaking events and interact with people and help to produce transformative experiences that will somebody probably blossom more into the things that you're doing, you know, not in a conference center, but take people out to get spring water and do that kind of stuff. Yes, sir. sir. You know, you're inspirational to me in that way of being able to deliver knowledge to people and share that, um, that element of it, but do it in a way that's experiential. You know, like, like imagine like Tony Robbins and Wim Hof, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just doing an outdoor kind of thing where it's full immersion, but there's also knowledge being shared and, you know, people working through stuff, which sounds like what you're doing, which is cool. So yeah, you're pretty much describing the next tribe design in Colorado.
1: That's 26. cool. It's amazing,
0: dude. And I'm, the way you I'm describe it too, the art do. of
1: story, storytelling, like when I, what is a tribe? A tribe is a group of people sharing stories around a light to be less afraid of what's in the dark. Right. So the master storyteller is vitalistic. The person that's the master spring hunter is vitalistic.
0: Thank you for being in your Dharma and sharing your story. Dude, thank you for giving me a platform. (laughs) It was so fun to cut loose after a long day of listening. Thank you. Peace and guys, keep breaking normal.